Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Woman in Compliance podcast. I'm Mary Shirley and here with my co-host Lisa Fine, who is also today's, in inverted commas, guest on the show. Lisa and I, as you know, are co-hosts of this podcast. We work together on a, a variety of things, but in her own right, Lisa is a great woman in compliance. And so today's episode is not about us in the podcast, even though I've entitled it Partners in Compliance. Really, the focus is on um, Lisa as a professional, and um, it is in conjunction, in fact, with another podcast uh, that Lisa is appearing in for Compliance Line, the Ethics Experts. Uh, Lisa's focus episode comes out today. So it really is an all about Lisa kind of a day. Um, and so, Lisa, I'm really pleased that you were willing to sit with me in this particular interview and, um, of course, grateful for our working relationship um, to, together on the podcast. But let's now, let's really focus on you. So, Will you tell us about your background and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. And let me just tell you, it is a lot of fun getting to, to do this with you today. I do feel a little bit like it's a little self-congratulatory, but I appreciate <laughs> it very, very much. I was impressed, though, that you went with, with uh, you know, partners in compliance as opposed to compliance spouses, because we are kind of both. Um, exactly. So- I feel like partners and compliance is a bit more professional and I save the podcast wife sort of joke for purely our listeners. Right. (laughs) (laughs) In any event, how I got here today, I think like everyone, like everyone I almost that we've spoken to, and I think it's changing. It wasn't, I didn't start my life and wake up and think, well, I would like to be either Wonder Woman or a compliance officer. I mean, I was pretty sure, you know, I I really wanted to be a superhero. Um, And I do some days now think of compliance professionals as superheroes. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of interesting. But when I I did always want to go to law school. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was, it was something that I wanted to do. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do after law school. I thought I wanted to go to a firm for Mm -hmm. some period of time. So I took the typical career path. I did actually, I went to Georgetown for law school and I always wanted to go to Georgetown law school. I didn't know it wasn't actually in Georgetown. Um, I also, (laughs) you know, I, 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 that was sort of the goal and I was a little confused afterwards about what to do. Um, But I started and I had a really great experience. I worked at a large New York law firm and I got some of the best training and I also was able to run their pro bono program um, for their Washington DC area. And what I really loved about that was that it gave me a chance to do good and use these resources that a large New York firm had to help in a lot of areas. Mm -hmm. And I think that that really formed what I wanted to do, although it hadn't kind of come up to the ethics and compliance standpoint or a view on it. Um, But I knew that I wanted to incorporate doing things to help be better and do better, but wasn't Mm -hmm. sure exactly what that was, but I was doing it within a law firm context. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I left the firm, I, I did something a little different than most people. Um, when I left, I decided to go out to Park City, Utah for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I booked ski lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked there. And I think I took it. Somebody told me once that I took it at the same level of seriousness that I may have taken working at the firm. But on the other hand, it was my job. I think you all mm-hmm. take your job seriously. And I enjoyed it. And it turned out to be a really good break because I was somebody who was very always, and still am on some level, pretty type A. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I chose to do this. And it was an opportunity to kind of take stock of a lot of different things and also really enjoyed it. I, I thought at some point I might have wanted to be a person who lived in a small town and visited cities. But at a certain point in time, actually, exactly when Obama was elected and I wasn't in Washington, D.C., I kind of thought it's time to go home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't realize until that moment how much D.C. was my home. Mm. Um, and then I missed it in that way. So I came back here. Um, and, and actually, I'll say while I was out there, I also did a job working as a, in um, disability advocacy for a public interest groups. So I did work out there and use my law degree. I came back. I did a couple of different things when I first came back. And then I ended up working at Gate Gourmet Gate Group um, in airline catering. 
And I started in HR compliance, which also I thought, you know, goes back to that similar theme because it was trying to do the right thing for our people and for the organization and learn and, and address those challenges. And I started in HR compliance and ended up in global compliance. And I will say airline catering is a great boot camp for any problem you're going to see in the rest of your career because there's everything. There's people, there are unions, there's food safety, there's Mm. the potential of antitrust because there aren't that many airline caterers. You've got low profit margins, you're global, immigration. So it was really an incredible learning experience and the people I worked with were great and I learned a lot from that and that was when I started working um, even more on investigations from an internal side and doing stuff with with uh, with anti-retaliation and speaking up Mm -hmm. and then after that um, I ended up coming where I am right now at Pearson Education and um, I had a, a senior counsel and director of compliance there and I feel very, very fortunate. We brought in a lot of things I liked. I mentioned that I wanted to go to law school, but my family, there are a lot of lawyers and a lot of teachers. And mm-hmm. I was a book kid. I, I for those of you who know me, I'm sure it's probably shocking that I wasn't, you know, you know, running, you know, you know, marathons and track and all of that. I mean, I did the occasional stuff like that, but I loved books and escaping mm-hmm. the world and that and learning and being able to incorporate that and now all the different types of learning and all those challenges with things I care about professionally has just been a really terrific experience. So that's how I got to where I am now. Mm, I really relate to the, um, the love of books. And I've always thought that if I ever come into a very large sum of money, one of the things that I would do with it is um, donate it to the library of um, my what we call in New Zealand intermediate, which is um, the school that you go to um, between the ages of 11 and 12, essentially. Um, and the library was just such a haven for me. You know, the weather could be awful. Um, and it was a way, you know, you used the word escape, um, which I think is perfect, right? Like, you're able to adventure, see things from the shoes of somebody completely different. And no matter what, there was always something new and different to explore in the library. So I just have the the greatest affection for libraries and them being what I I, I would call a, a haven for the kids like me who were not massive extroverts who were really content just being with themselves in their own little world and the universe that that books give you. Um, Lisa. Uh, And and I was going to say 11 to 13 years old is not easy for a lot of girls or women anyway. I think it's harder now with social media, but that's a kind of a separate topic. But I do think there is something very comforting about a library and books. And even now people get the, you know, their books on iPads or Kindles mm-hmm. or, you know, but I still think that there's something about a good book mm, no matter where you get it. So. Me too. Um, you mentioned your, your work in HR compliance. And I wondered if you would take a minute just to share a little bit about what that involves, because I think HR compliance doesn't often get much of a spotlight. Um, and I think we've discussed on the show previously that there's often no second line of defense for HR. Would you share with us a little bit about the type of work that you did when you were in that space and and what companies could think about if they don't already have an HR compliance dedicated team or person? Sure. There were a couple of different things that I worked on. Um, And one was I learned a lot about immigration compliance there because there are always people looking at different places and what visas and how do you do that and how do you make sure they're the right people at the right time. Mary, you might be familiar with the the world of visas being from New Zealand. Um, (laughs) So that was something, you know, just dealing with that. And also we worked with some wonderful outside counsel on that. So that was one of the things that Mm. there was a lot going on, which I mean, especially it's not even necessarily people on visas, but some people Mm. who will have work permits working in 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 different um, like facilities and things like that. And, you know, those some of the jobs, you know, anyone who's working sometimes in a factory that's far away from their home and maybe Mm. a first generation person. I mean, there's a lot that goes on from that end and even to get them to work and to be supportive in a good work environment. Um, you know, a second thing that we worked that we ended up dealing with a lot, um, and I think it is a huge HR US compliance issue mm-hmm. is wage and hour issues. Mm-hmm. Um, because 
you know, there's a lot there. And I, and it's interesting because from when I went out, when I lived out in Park City, I remember, you know, punching in and punching out and being like, I don't need a break right now. Why are you insisting that I go? Mm. And then after the fact, because I think of myself still primarily as, uh, you know, even though I was hourly in my mm. built booking ski lessons, I thought of myself the same way as just a good worker. Mm. Um, but then you realize the law, the legality and all of that. And that is a big issue um, mm. and really hard to manage, you know, especially when it's like somebody has to put on their uniforms. That mm. is part of their work time. But what if the clock is somewhere else? So you mm. go into the very, you get into some nitty gritty. And the last thing that I did is I did a lot in an earlier phase and non-privileged phase in the HR side of employee investigations, mm-hmm. which I thought was a really important thing mm. um, because you know, oftentimes you are the person that is the first line of defense. But I, I also liked doing that actually as a as somebody who went to law school. I wasn't a lawyer for the company. Mm-hmm. So I was really able to try to do the right thing, you know, the best you could. And there's never, as anyone knows who does any of these things, there's really never mm-hmm. a graceful solution, but you could strategically work on it and think, I'm not the privileged person. Mm-hmm. How do I want to handle this? Mm-hmm. I mean, you handle with empathy and other things first, but you also think to yourself, you know, this is something, and, and you get to train HR people in don't try to impress everybody with what you're saying because sometimes people will, will be so frustrated legitimately mm-hmm. and the junior people will be like, you could, you know, throw in an email. You, know, mm-hmm. you could, you could, you, you know, you may be, you know, violating federal law right now. Mm-hmm. And so you, you know, once you do that, then you open up. So it was sort of being able to be a, a person in the middle between legal when needed and with the employee base and the HR. And I really, that was a, a sweet spot that I think can ultimately help with, with, with all organizations, mm-hmm. you know, you're not coming in as the legal person, but you're also able to figure out how you want to best, you know, document and effectively, you know, work through the issues with lots of different people. So that I think is important. I mean, and I think HR compliance is a hugely important thing for organizations. Mm. I would agree. And one of the things that I've noticed with you that I think this experience has given you is a really beautiful um, ability to see both sides more than your typical compliance person who's working with HR. So, and, you know, over the years that you and I have known each other, it's not unusual for you to essentially be the devil's advocate and say, you know, from an HR perspective, this is what will be the challenge for them. Or, you know, you might be expecting this, but, you know, the practicality of that on the HR side is this. And so I think that's given you a really nice multidimensional perspective and that it allows you to more holistically evaluate and balance the different stakeholders compared with those of us who have never done that, that side. Yeah, I mean, and some things can be looked at holistically and some things really can't. I mean, you can't look at facilitation payments with a holistic view of, okay, well, they thought it might have been a good idea because they were trying to be nice. I mean, there's there are things you can and you can't. But I do remember once when somebody came to me who was, who was part of like a council on something. It's like, I can't believe that the HR person's not dropping all this stuff. This is an emergency investigation. And mm-hmm. said, you know, have you been in the unit? There are people waiting out the hall trying to get their medical care, their health care. Mm-hmm. It's their first day of work. Their pay I said, so at least before you get upset with them, try mm-hmm. to at least, you know, recognize that your crisis is, is like four down for them. And mm-hmm. that doesn't make them bad people. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that, you know, that is really one of the things. And I, and I think it, it, it did suit me well. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad it took you um, closer into the space that we share overlap in as well. Well, I mean, you, you're very into, I mean, the first time I met you, I mean, you were talking about how to best communicate culturally with people all over the globe and how to connect. So it's not that different. No, oh, thank you. <laughs> you're well known for having an interest in investigation, speaking up and non-retaliation. Those are topics that I often see you speak on at conferences. Um, but I'd love to hear from you. What is another aspect of compliance that you find interesting and why? You know, I, I felt like you were asking me to like pick my favorite among so many things. Of your children? So many things. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have those. So, and I only have one dog. So I can't. This really... is an analogy. <laughs> Neither of us have children. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say my favorite pair of shoes, but I have opinions on that. But in any event, I think that 
you know, one of the things that I just think a lot about now is about ethical decision making and how we relate that back to what we're doing every day that, you know, how do you help and support your your um, team members and others to understand, like, this is a bad idea, may not be illegal, but here's why. And, you know, how do you help people understand how to kind of look at different things and, and work through them from soup to nuts? I mean, I think... Mm-hmm. You know, and it's sort of looking at it, we were just talking about holistic and I mean, and more in a holistic viewpoint. And I guess I've been thinking about that and I'm really interested in it as I think about ESG, which is, you know, the, you know for a while it used to be corporate social responsibility. We changed right. the term, but the philosophy is equally is always equally as important. And I think what is interesting to me about all of that is what is the right thing, the right space and the right part for us to do in ethics and compliance? Mm-hmm. What is the part that is okay to stick with the, you know, that others can do? And wh- where do we best take our skill set and mm-hmm. our understanding of organizations to you know, be what we want you know, and, and incorporate? So I really have been really interested in that lately. Um, I'm also, you know, really interested in different sort of cultural, global, um, and I mentioned facilitation payments jokingly before, but the whole idea of how do you take a large global organization and try to harmonize what needs to be done if you're publicly traded or not, or other things and make, you know, make things understandable and workable for many. Mm-hmm. And so I, those are some of the things I'm really, really interested in right now. I'm mm-hmm. also lately political, you know, I've been looking at some of the different like lobbying, political election things. Um, mm-hmm. But that's just because I think those things just get more and more important. But mm-hmm. I mean, those are just a couple of things, but I mean, so much of what we do in our field, I mean, I mean every time I, I find, yeah, I can, I can get interested, you know, I talk about third party due diligence and why is that important, but that's one of the best parts about being in ethics and compliance. Mm-hmm. Um. What is your best investigations tip? Well, I mean, you know, one of my favorites is document, document, document. That's um, a top so nice box gym as well. <laughs> I know, I know. We bond, I bonded with Tom over that one. But I mean, I think both writing things down and, and, you know, writing down things basically as factually as possible. I mean, you can yeah. observe someone's look on their face. Um, you know, I can say, Mary just laughed, but I, I can't really take my notes and say, Mary thinks I'm hilarious. Um, you know, but I think just points like that, I think is one of my best tips. The second tip is think of the people you're investigating as people, Mm. um, not as, you know, this is my subject, this is my, this, and I'm going through my interview and here are the questions I need answered, Mm -hmm. but let it learn from what they want to say because you can figure out all the gems at one time. And Mary, I'm going to pause for one second because I have to open the door before the noise gets a little chaotic. Right. Tom, if you can just cut this bit out. Okay, we're back. Can you can you hear me? Yep. Okay, perfect. So, okay. Um, do you think we do we close off investigations? I think. Um, uh, did you have another tip, or did you want to leave it? There? No, I think that we can stop there. Perfect. Okay, great. What's something that you have learned in the last year that has made you a better ethics professional? Do you think? When you mentioned that question, my first thing, it took me a while to think about what makes me better because I spend a lot of time thinking of everything else I need to learn and what I want to improve on. And I find the profession as a whole so big mm-hmm. that I, it was sort of hard to think, well, what did I, what did I learn? I immediately thought about certain practical things that I, that I learned, you know, things about understanding some aspects of technology that could help me connect better to people that were millennials, um, maybe Gen Z, um, you know, trying to learn about, you know, trying to learn about different manners of learning for training and development um, and trying to kind of break out of my own 
comfort zone on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that was kind of one of the, the larger things as well. I think trying to really keep up on some of the different ways to work and communicate that may be like counter to my gut or comfort level as a proud Gen X, or you and I joke about that, but mm-hmm. um, you know, is, is it okay to do something that's like a really fun game show quiz? Does that really count in the world of what I would have thought of as old school traditional training? How do you do it? How do you? So I think in the last year, I've learned that some of the things that I used to have kind of a little bit of, you know, you know, old school resistance against mm. are really great things. And I'm, I'm trying very hard to keep utilizing that and, and moving forward in a way that works with both my organization. And I think we all have our own personal styles and way about us, um, mm. you know, in a way that's genuine. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably one of one of the tips. I mean, I've also, I mean, I feel like I learn things every day. I think mm-hmm. all of us do. I mean, you can see the, how is it, how SEC finds, you know, what has been happening with different sort of trade things, you know, what, but being able to look, look at those things. And I think, I guess one other point from a professional standpoint is I, I can't, I'm really trying to learn more about third parties and, and business partner. And, you know, I know enough, but I, I always want to learn more because I think that's such a huge area and it's, it just keeps growing in more of a global world. But I've learned a lot more about best practices and how to do that in the past year. So those are a couple of things that I think have made me a better compliance professional. Wonderful. Thank you. And now same question, but in regards to being a better human being, what's something that you've learned in the last year? <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, hopefully people will you know, have agreeing or some opinion on this that, you know, again, if it's an appreciate Lisa day, let's go positive. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, one of my new year's resolutions I thought about this was, was to focus on the core and my core. And when I say my core, I don't just mean, you know, my back and working out, although that could probably use some, some help here and there too. <laughs> but I think one, and one of these things I realized in, in, uh, during COVID and other things is that there's, I think all of us spend a lot of time thinking about everyone and everyone out there that, you know, we want to talk to or get along with or this mm-hmm. or that. And sometimes I think it's to the neglect of the people that really care about you the most because mm-hmm. you feel more confident and comfortable about that group of friends or your mm-hmm. family or others or activities that are truly important to you. Mm-hmm. So I think, and I think that, and I've realized for people who maybe I'm not always as in good of contact with, they still are part of a core, but they get me for me mm-hmm. and they appreciate me. So I think one of the things that has, you know, made me maybe, I don't know, better human being is a kind of an overstatement mm-hmm. on it because you know, what, you know, I sort of feel like I should be, you know, like Mother Teresa or saving the children when it's saying that. But I think the idea of really trying to let, you know, projects that are important to me, people to know or to, to recognize that and friends and family and try to really be there for them when they need it, as mm-hmm. opposed to worrying about it every day. Like, did I text? Did I write? Did I call? Mm-hmm. And then for the people, I think all of us are people in our life that sometimes we spend too much energy caring. Mm-hmm. And they're not caring or thinking about you as much. Um, mm-hmm. But to, to try to take some of that energy towards the people who genuinely deserve it. Mm-hmm. So I think, I don't know if it makes it a better human being, but I think it makes me feel like I am doing better. And that's, of course, at the times like we all have that mm-hmm. there are times where you have like no energy. You know, I, it's like cell phones. You can only, you know, sometimes you got to recharge. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people who know you and love you get that. So mm-hmm. I guess that's what I think. The focusing on like the core of the people and the stuff that I care about, mm-hmm. and trying to, and of course, trying to worry less about some of the things I shouldn't worry about. I think that totally makes sense in response to this question. And if I can just um, press you a little further, I'm I'm curious to know um, how you did this. So, for example, when you were redirecting your energy, did you take sort of conscious? decisions about oh um who who's been feeling down recently or who's expressed um something you know negative feelings about something that's happening with them I will actively look to reach out how how, what was your thought process for enacting this a little bit of that a little bit more of trying to be a more active listener at times Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's still not I mean even though I am I call a social interviewer I can talk when I need to but to Mm -hmm. to listen and to kind of try to hear what people weren't saying Mm -hmm. and trying to remember like if someone says like this is you know 
something I'd want to do, or this is something I'm interested in. If I, if it's, you know, if it's like a book that I saw that was similar, or if somebody's looking for kinds of jobs, if you hear about them, I mean, we do that for things all the time, but to try to really listen to what people need as opposed to what I think they might need. Mm-hmm. I've tried to do that more. I mean, it's not always perfect. And on the other hand, if I start thinking about that, about somebody who's not such a great friend or an acquaintance or something like that, and I think we mm-hmm. all do that, I think, well, what do they think or what do they want to need? And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. why am I doing this with my time when there's somebody who will, you know, be better to me and mm-hmm. I can be better to them where it matters, mm-hmm. like trying to do that. And the other thing is joking about the other part about the core is mm-hmm. if if I, I try to, you know, eat or healthier or do other things or work out. And if I just mm-hmm. don't make it work sometimes, as opposed to like thinking badly, just saying, look, you'll get, it'll get better. None of this is the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that, that's been part of it too, as opposed to like spending the time that I could be stressing out that I really haven't worked out for the last few days. Like, Hey, mm-hmm. you're going to do it again. But in the meantime, what is bringing you joy or what is for other people? And I, listen, I mean, I'm not, perfect at it are great, but I, I, I really am trying better to focus on the people that care about me truly. And I care about them mm-hmm. and, and with work things. I mean, I love, I mean, I, I love doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. I like getting opportunities and ethics and compliance, but it, it was, you know, it's been nice this past year, you know, the year before doing the book was also amazing, but mm-hmm. it was nice to kind of focus on the podcast and then some other stuff and work mm-hmm. stuff and saying like, that's where I am. Mm-hmm. Now I'm thinking what's next. So we have to talk about that separately. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. We, yeah, we should. I mean, it's been a while since our board meeting in Cape Town. Um, I know. We so. have, we have an, yeah, we have an executive, an executive board. I mean, the two of us at a, at a restaurant that usually has some sort of very good food. So, yeah. So we need to sort that out to make, get our plans going for 2022. And I, I'll say that I love that thought of, you know, um, instead of treating others how you want to be treated, but treating others how they want to be treated. And that's something that I've been working more on for my compliance program. And what I've found is that sometimes you're, when you specifically ask your colleagues what they need, they are vindicating the the thoughts that you had in mind, uh, but then you've got data backing that up as well. So that's really helpful. So things that I've done is specifically asking colleagues what they want to be trained on to help inform my training plan for 2022 instead of just me saying, well, anecdotally, a lot of people are asking questions about this policy, but actually going out to the troops and saying, hey, y'all, um, what do you feel like you need more uh, training on to, to, to either find gaps in my own thought process or um, to have some supporting documentation for what I'm proposing um, t- for, for, for the year ahead. So um, I love that you've been applying that to your personal life and uh, it, funny that um, I'm doing it to my compliance program at the same time. So we're, we're aligned we are shocking. Um, but we also, the other thing that, as you said that, that made me think about that I'm, I work on as well is trying to remember the why for people, yeah. particularly when I deal a lot with gifts, hospitality, you know, different, and this is for a U.S. context and state laws and things like that. Mm-hmm. When you walk through, and, and really with anywhere globally, when you talk about what some of the requirements are and you kind of explain more of the background and take the time I mean, if people don't want you to, that's okay too. But sometimes when you just spend a few minutes explaining why you're asking the specific questions and why you're training on these mm-hmm. areas and why they matter, mm-hmm. as opposed to this is what you need to do. And I think mm-hmm. I think ethics and compliance people are pretty empathetic. So we, we try to do that a lot, mm-hmm. but it's amazing. I mean, some people from the old school department of no, we're like, these are the rules. Exactly. But if you say, this is why we have to have this rule. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're sometimes you just have to say, look, it's not the what we wanted. You know, this is not perfect. We get it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't love this either, but it's still there. And, you know, here's how we can make sure that we best, you know, best do the work we need to do and, and remain in compliance. The why I think people often forget. I think that's such an important point. Um, and if you look at adult learning theory, when it comes to training, that's what you're supposed to start off with. If you're training adults and not children, which is sort of the teaching style that many of us um, default to, 
with adults, the first thing you should do is explain why it is that they're getting that training. So I love that you're using that more broadly across your program to help get buy-in. Yeah, and, and you know, some people will be 100% in and some people will never be no matter how much you try. Right. And that's okay too. I mean, there are certain things that people want me to do that I'm just not, I'm not like, I have to do this, but I'm not 100% going to be, you know, buy in. I get it. It's required. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, and Lisa, my final question for you today is if somebody Googled you, what would they not find out about you? Well, you know, I, the internet has pretty much everything, but I think you'd have to dig pretty deep mm-hmm. to find out about my great love of old school hip hop. I don't <laughs> think it's out there. <laughs> what you thought I was going to give you some sort of great award I won that nobody knew about in eighth grade? No. <laughs> I, there was a period of time that I could really, I mean, I had a strong preference for the East Coast, between East Coast, West, West Coast, and the old school rap world, and had a lot. And I still find I really enjoy some of that music um, from that period of time and others. But yeah, no, my my pretty much my my knowledge of some slightly deeper cuts in the in the old school hip hop world, I think, and rap, um, and sort of how I think that that really shapes society and also can really give you a viewpoint that's really unique. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that's out there in you know, my my my, uh, my Spotify mix. I don't think is really out there in the Google world. So um, it's a little bit different. Um, so periodically, when I know certain songs or, or, or different things, people will kind of think, "What? What is that?" And then I wonder what they thought I was listening to before, but I think, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I I think that would be a non-Google thing. Normally I talk about my, you know, my, my Buffalo pride, but I don't think that's something people can't figure out. My Buffalo Bills love and all of that because Jay Rosen does a nice job of sharing that on LinkedIn for me. Exactly. I, I did know that you are a big fan of the Beastie Boys. Oh yeah. They're my favorite ever. So (laughs) That's Rocky. Hi, Rocky. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. As is Rocky. He, yes. he, as is Rocky. He's joined he, our, our call. He is telling us, ladies, time's up. So with uh, that digging uh, of the bell from our little box of Rocky, um, we have come to the end of this episode. Lisa, thank you so much for thank your willingness. Thank you so much. And this is um, great. And, and yeah, it is getting close to that time of day where Rocky thinks that, that something should run. He's currently protecting the house because he's mm. an ethical guy too. So have a great rest of the day. Thanks a lot. Same to you. Thanks, Lisa. Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.